Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hello, and welcome to Visibilities. Thank you for joining us. My name is Regina Grace, and we have a great discussion lined up for you. We are going to be discussing the access to spatial concepts and information with Alexa Sue. And she's a PhD student. She's been studying this for a while, and she's here to share with you what she has learned. Alexa? Hello. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm a PhD student at Stanford University. Um, I'm in the Department of Mechanical Engineering, and my research is partly on uh, human-computer interaction, accessibility, and haptics. Um, and I'll, today I'll be talking about some of my research work that has looked at understanding multimodal methods, leveraging audio and haptics for communicating uh, spatial concepts. And this is motivated in the importance of uh, spatial concepts in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics education, or STEM. Um, so spatial concepts are very prevalent in the STEM fields, and problem solving in these areas rely largely on one's spatial thinking abilities. Uh, research has shown that performance on tasks that rely on spatial thinking are not dependent on the modality of learning, yet most of the mechanisms and tools that we have, have so far been developed to support spatial reasoning uh, rely largely on uh, the visual modality. Um, and are also not designed in an accessible manner. Uh, so typically we rely on external representations to help us uh, when we're reasoning through spatial tax tasks, for example, uh, like using maps uh, for wayfinding. And so my research work has aimed to increase access to STEM concepts uh, for people who are blind by investigating how we can leverage other modalities to complement and enhance learning and uh, manipulation of spatial concepts. So uh, in today, I will discuss two uh, examples uh, to two projects that relate to this topic, uh, where we investigate potential uses of audio haptic modalities uh, to work in complement to present spatial information. And we develop this project grounded in two specific application domains. The first project uh, relates to 3D design. Um, and the second project relates to data visualizations. So I'll start first by discussing uh, the project around 3D design. And this work was done in collaboration with San Kim at the Vista Center for the Blind and Visually Impaired, Josh Mealy uh, at the time at the smith Eye Research Institute, and Sean Fulmer, my PhD at thesis advisor. And so the premise of uh, this project starts with the maker movement and the DIY culture. The wider availability of personal fabrication tools has extended the power of non-experts to be agents in addressing issues in the physical world. And so to this end, fabrication and making is believed even more promising for people, with, including those with disabilities, whose needs are often underserved by existing technologies. So for people who are blind, many of these activities and practices are not accessible. And a fundamental problem 
in the space is the lack of access to important information, particularly complex and spatial graphical information that is typically presented in a graphical manner. But beyond information access, um, I think increasing availability to fabrication tools can open up a new medium for creative expression. Um, and creating the right design tools uh, can be very empowering towards furthering uh, this field. So in our work, we focused in the area of 3D design and printing specifically. For people who learn and work non-visually, getting access to quality graphics and 3D models is even more essential. Uh, but many of the authoring tools that are available um, are not accessible. And so I'll discuss some of the problems uh, from the existing tools, and then I'll present some uh, of our work where we look to address some of these issues. So part of the problem in 3D design is that many of the mainstream applications uh, rely on direct manipulation with graphical user interfaces that are not typically compatible with assistive technology, such as screen readers. Uh, so for example, a, a very common tool for 3D design is Tinkercad. Another way to alter 3D designs are through programming uh, with tools such as OpenSCAD. And so there have been a few efforts, for example, uh, by the New York Public Library Dimensions Project uh, that have created several materials and workshops towards training on tactile design literacy with tools such as OpenSCAD. The remaining challenge in this process is that there aren't any good methods to obtain an accessible output and verify a design. Um, so users must either wait long periods between iterations or mentally keep track of uh, the source code as they program uh, their design. So this leads to the question of how can we effectively encode complex 2D information? Uh, and so there are a number of ways in practice uh, in which this can be encoded. Uh, so first, the most common, we have text descriptions. Uh, but for graphics, text descriptions tend to be less precise and have a higher cognitive load. So then on the haptics domain, uh, we have race line drawings, uh, first race line drawings. Uh, they're very successful at describing outlines and texture, uh, but fall short with perspective drawings that are more that are really important uh, for communicating 3D information. Then we have uh, 2.5D tactile uh, displays or tactile arrays. Uh, there are another option which preserve some of the depth cues that are really important for haptic recognition and understanding. Uh, but this uh, type of arrays require very specific hardware that will likely always have some limitations, for example, in the resolution of information that they can convey and uh, how much information, so like the size of the rendering space. And then last on kind of the spectrum, there are uh, 3D printed objects uh, where the haptic multi-dimensional cues are preserved, uh, but this can take a very long time to fabricate um, and accessible tools uh, for the blind to express to this medium don't exist. So this is a multi-dimensional space with trade-offs along many dimensions. For example, 
text that's really cheap and fast to create, uh, while 3D is, on the other hand, uh, slow but more precise. So tactile rays or 2.5D shaped displays offer a balance of many of the trade-offs. So we decided to investigate further uh, this technology. Specifically, we asked how might dynamic tactile feedback support programming uh, in the 3D modeling context, uh, viewing and authoring 3D designs. We wanted to understand both the strengths and limitations of tactile displays and if perhaps there are ways in which we could overcome or mitigate some of the limitations uh, by creating a variety of different uh, interaction techniques. And so towards this, we uh, created a 2.5D tactile array uh, that consists of a grid of pins that are can be raised up or down. Um, the size of the array is about a, uh, a little smaller than a piece of paper, eight and a half by 11 inches. Uh, and the pins are about 4.8 by 4.8 millimeters with an interspin interpin spacing of two millimeters. So it's a little, uh, it's very, it's pretty coarse resolution, uh, but has uh, high displacement. So pins can move up to 70 millimeters. Oh, I see. I got a, there's a call, a uh, raised hand. Okay. Um, we'll be taking questions soon, but I, I want to let uh, Alexa outline everything. And I'm going to try to break it down into lay people's language because I'm not a scientist either, but I'm sure that uh, you'll be able to to answer our questions. So if you can okay. uh, be patient, we're getting through the information and we will be taking questions. And so we created this shape display um, and we uh, used it, we created an application around 3D design and we wanted to see how um, providing other cues can help mitigate some of the limitations that are uh, that exists with this kind of technology. Um, and so we use this shape display in an application for 2D design, which we called ShapeCAD. Um, how users input create a design is by specifying uh, different parts of the model uh, through programming. So a user could write a like, cylinder and specify a height and a diameter. And then uh, when the code is compiled, uh, the model is presented in a the tactile array. And then there are a few different ways in which the user can manipulate and uh, further uh, look at the model to understand its geometry. And so we, um, we relied on a lot of feedback from members of the blind community to uh, understand what interactions were necessary to both view and modify the models using the tactile display as feedback. And so, with this, uh, with, uh, through like these meetings, we iterated on that design, um, and I'll highlight some of the things that uh, of that, some of the interactions and how users are able to uh, preview models and iterate on them. Uh, so, first, uh, user given since the shape display uh, pins are raised from a bed, uh, you are not able to feel fully three D objects. That's why we call it two point five. Uh, so you only get a relief in some ways. Uh, so to fully understand uh, the entire geometry of the object, uh, users navigate uh, to the, the object by translating and rotating the 3D model to get a full understanding of the geometry. Uh, for example, I, a user commented on an analogy 
with like real objects. Uh, when you first get a fully 3D object, you would turn it around as much as possible to get a full understanding. Since also another limitation of the shape display is that uh, the rendering region is not infinite. We have a limited rendering space. So um, users are also able to scale the object to reveal more details or get more resolution. Users are also able to uh, view the object from different uh, views so they can get a quicker understanding of uh, the object. For example, a user may view a cup, the top part of a cup or like a bottom part of the cup. And um, so if you view a, a cup from the top, uh, you would see that the inside is hollow. Uh, but if you see a cup from the bottom, uh, you would see that uh, the bottom is uh, not hollow. And then uh, after iterating on this workflow and prototyping uh, these interactions to support 3D design with the tactile display, uh, we conducted an evaluation with five blind users uh, that had no prior 2D modeling experience. And uh, users had a, uh, completed a set of controlled tasks that tested specific uh, knowledge around 3D modeling concepts. This took about six to 15 minutes. And then we also had um, an open and a more open-ended evaluation where users created objects, any object they wanted. Um, and we asked also to ask users to provide a description of the object they wanted to create. Um, so for example, some of the objects that users created are uh, a tall glass cup with tapered sides, a truck with a carriage, um, and all users reported being satisfied with the results and thought the objects matched what they initially wanted to create. Um, so uh, from users' comments, they, this were encouraging that uh, our workflow allowed novices to explore and understand several 3D modern concepts uh, to effectively use the feedback and independently complete a series of 2D modeling tasks, uh, both either with a specific goal or just open-ended creating an object uh, that they uh, imagined. And so I'll just discuss some general, uh, uh, more broadly, some general trend, uh, comments we got. Um, and so an, the first, like an essential part of this process was the quick, dynamic, and iterative feedback. As one user commented, uh, no trouble with the hardware or flow of the system. The feedback will make it easier, makes it possible for a blind person to create. Another user commented how this iterative feedback also supported the creative process. Uh, this user commented, it was fun that I could just use my imagination and combine that with my programming skills. And from the shapeshifter, being able to get physical feedback on my design worked very well and together, and it was a lot of fun. Um, and even beyond 3D modeling, users also commented on other areas where uh, they thought this combination of feedback could be very helpful, for example, in supporting other programming tasks or helping novices learn to program. One user, for example, said, when you said programming, I was a bit scared, but it wasn't so scary after you tried. When you change something, immediately you see what happens on the display. That's a very powerful tool for understanding 
the code. And then last, in general, a very clear theme from both our design process and evaluation was the general lack of design tools that blind individuals can use independently, but really the great enthusiasm from users wanting to take the role of designers uh, to create content by and for the blind community. For example, a teacher uh, wanted to have more tools to create accessible materials for students, or an entrepreneur wanted to support his e-commerce business. Um, and so I'll, uh, one quote that captures all of the sentiment, I'll read it. Uh, this user said, I would, like, like, I would like to be able to help designers in my work. A lot of the work we do is in tactile design. Uh, and that's something I currently don't have access to because the tools we use aren't accessible. So the fact that I would be able to use a tool that I could control and could actually create and design 3D models is revolutionary and very exciting. So this leads me to some of the future work and some of the remaining challenges that we are still exploring uh, on, towards this project goal. Uh, so first is um, there's, a, there's still a lot of technological challenges towards uh, making high-resolution haptic displays more scalable, uh, low-cost, and available. Uh, so we're exploring some other technical solutions uh, in our lab. And uh, there are, and then second in this work, we explored uh, relatively simpler models, uh, but there are a lot more complex models that uh, could benefit from other interactions. Third in our workflow, users provided uh, the design by writing lines of code, uh, but we're also thinking of how, uh, what would direct manipulation look like in a tactile interface. And last, uh, we're interested in exploring how, how does access to 3D design and printing in the wild encourage informal STEM learning. So in summary, for this project around 3D design, um, we did a first investigation of an accessible 3D design modeling workflow uh, with real-time tactile displays. And we've demonstrated how this workflow can support authoring, uh, viewing, and editing of 3D models. And while we focus here on 3D models for the purpose of design, I think there are many areas where this interaction techniques and patterns could uh, be extended uh, and apply, for example, in other engineering work. And as I mentioned, um, there are still remaining challenges, both in the technology side, but also on understanding the domain of multimodal information encoding and retrieval. And so towards that, in the second project that I want to discuss today, uh, we focus uh, more on the use of audio. And so the reason for audio um, is that compared to haptics, the technology is more easily portable and widely available. Uh, and so this project, the second project that I'll discuss is more preliminary compared to the previous. So I'll focus more on describing our goals for the project and our vision our overall vision of uh, where we want to get to. So this, the second project focuses on data-driven stories and articles in the media. And so in recent years, so there have been a lot of sophisticated methods uh, for displaying data uh, that have become prevalent in the media. For example, in recent times, data visualization uh, has been playing a vital role in promoting awareness, 
informing the public, uh, guiding policymakers, and predicting uh, future outcomes during the COVID-19 crisis. And more and more, we see articles that balance a narrative uh, with interactive graphics. Um, These interactive graphics allow a user to explore the data uh, and draw their own insights. Um, and these are often referred to as data storytelling. And so these methods of data storytelling have li largely relied on uh, visual graphics, uh, and few efforts have been made towards exploring visualizations that leverage other modalities. And in this unprecedented time where information is vital, uh, the ubiquity of visual graphics has widened the accessibility gap and revealed a real need to make information access uh, more equitable. So our understanding, our initial understanding of the space has come from a survey that is ongoing. Uh, as I said, we're still going to, uh, this project is very much in progress. Uh, and we're also conducting, in addition to the survey, we're also conducting one-on-one -on -one interviews with users. Uh, both of this to help us illuminate issues, understand barriers, and implement solutions needed for making authoring and consumption of data graphics more accessible. Um, so if you're interested in hearing more about the survey or participating, I can refer a link later in the talk as well. Um, so, but in this project, we really are interested in uh, using audio methods to help users make comparisons and reveal trends in data. And so we're using a few different sonification methods. So sonification is the mapping of data to sound parameters. I'll play an example of a sonified graph, uh, which I have recorded using the SAS graphics accelerator. This is an existing tool developed by SAS and works as a Chrome extension. It is not a tool that uh, me or my research team has developed. Uh, so I'll play a graph for new daily confirmed cases of COVID-19 um, in the time range between January 22 uh, to June 18. And I'll be playing the data for three countries. Uh, first, I'll play for the United States, then for China, and then for Italy. Um, so I'll now. If you can't hear it, please let me know. U.S. China. Italy. Okay, uh, so that was an example of a graph played through audio. Uh, so in this graph, you can hear how the tones uh, rise earlier for China compared to the U.S. and Italy. Uh, but also more prominent is how tones rise much higher for the United States compared to both uh, China and Italy uh, over like the more, more recent periods. So part, uh, towards uh, uh, our efforts in this project, uh, from our preliminary investigation on user preferences for accessing that data either uh, through tactile or audio, we have started to draw some uh, design guidelines and implications uh, for new designs. Uh, so in general, users have a stronger preference towards tactile methods over audio. And some of the reasons that audio is not preferred is that the mapping of audio to 
data values is not as intuitive of a process. Uh, users report being able to get a general shape, but would like to be able to get more information value. For example, um, it's hard to tell specific trends when things change in the middle of uh, playing the sound or distinguishing how much higher or lower things have changed, uh, assigning a, a real value to uh, the sound. And so from our observations, we think there are several ways in which providing context and annotations can really help make audiographs more meaningful. Um, I think it's necessary to provide the user with a proper orientation to the data in a similar way as orienting a user to a tactile graphic, uh, providing that context either to labels or descriptions uh, makes a big difference in understanding. And we see some of these examples uh, some examples of these techniques being used in podcasts, um, where uh, podcasts can might use data and play it, uh, and provide some of this narrative. Um, so I'll play an example of a podcast that uses sonified uh, data and some of this narrative techniques. This is pretty amazing. Let's take coal production data from the Energy Information Administration and play a single musical note for each week. The higher the pitch of that note, the higher the coal production. This sound represents how much coal came out of the ground in coal's single best week ever, 24 million tons in February 2006. This sound is one of coal's worst weeks, 11 million tons in April 2016. A lot of coal... A little cold. If we string the sounds together, again with each note representing one week, it sounds like this. An audio history of U.S. coal at 10 weeks a second. Okay, in the 80s we were coming off the 1970s energy crisis and the newly updated Clean Air Act. Production? Chugging along. It sounded like this. song is all over the place, some up weeks, some down weeks. Then, cheap, low-sulfur Wyoming coal burst onto the scene. During the 90s, production soared. Hear how the overall tone is higher than before? In the 2000s, America built tons of homes, which needed lots of electricity. Natural gas prices were high, making burning coal the most economic way to fuel the housing boom. And in 2008, coal reached a peak, averaging 23 million tons a week. Then everything changed. Natural gas took off and it was cheap. Old coal-fired power plants were retired and replaced with natural gas and renewables. Coal has been up and down since 2010, but you can hear more downs than ups. And in the past year... fell off a virtual cliff. Once again, here's coal production at its peak in 2008 and in the past six months. For coal, it's back to the 1980s. What took three So uh, I just wanted to share uh, this example of a podcast. It's a podcast from SoundCall by Inside Energy titled Listen to Just Coal Production Fall Off a Cliff. Um, just to demonstrate how 
spoken narratives interwoven with sonified data can be a more powerful technique for crafting compelling data-driven narratives as opposed to hearing the data in isolation. And in a this is in a similar manner as narratives in the media have brought prominence to visual graphics. So moving forward, our overall goal is to design better tools to be able to craft such narratives and better our understanding of what makes an engaging and meaningful audio narrative. So with that, I hope that I've shown you projects that showcase uh, the ways I've been thinking about multimodal information access uh, towards democratizing access to design and information. Um, so thank you so much for listening, and I'm very happy to take any questions, comments, or feedback on any of the things that I uh, talked about. You've done such a wonderful job explaining something that can be rather complicated, and I just want to make sure that so. <laughs> people understand that we're talking about how to things that are using visual tools in science, technology, engineering, and math to help you solve problems rely on a lot of where you think things are in terms of space. That's called spatial thinking ability, right? Mm -hmm. And That's so a lot of times they use visual aids. And what you've done is describe two different projects. And one would be to see how does it work with 3D. And you went through different options, including 3D printers, which were effective but pretty expensive, text, which can be limiting, and but you kind of settled on this one where you could manipulate pins on a piece of paper. And I think if I'm right, it's about a, like the size of a notebook paper. And then you can manipulate your pins in order to change the design and manipulate it around so you can really visualize it from the tactile, translate it from tactile into your brain. Is that kind of a good description? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's a great description. Okay, so that's the first project and the interactive one. It was very it seemed like it was really well received. And then you described your second project, which uh, fascinated me because I am a vocalist and musician, and so mm -hmm. I was pretty sensitive to the to the notes, but it was still hard to kind of grasp data in a sound context until you had the narrative and yeah. the narrative brought it alive and it was it was amazing it, it felt to me the closest that I might get since I'm totally blind to visualizing something that people demonstrate and we've all been in presentations where they have these graphs on the board and we're trying to figure out what they're saying so I want to first say that I really appreciate this project and it seems like it will be very uh, key to helping people with things like coding in computers and programming and of course mathematics and science and those fields are only growing, right? They're very marketable. Yes, definitely. And underrepresented for people that are blind or have low vision. So, oh, there you are, Joel. Hello. How are you? Hi, Regina. I am okay <laughs> and I have questions. Yes. Go ahead. Hey, Alexa. So, so hey, you heard about the combination of audio uh, with with sound sonification, and we we heard about the first project where you were using something similar to like a a braille display to create three D images. Have you yes. have you done any work combining the sonification and the three D modeling to 
model, like a graph, like what we heard with the piano playing up yeah, and down, definitely. where I could touch the the display and hear it as I feel, touch the trend mark as it's going up and just hear it at the same time to be able to get that cognitive tie-in. Because uh, unlike Regina, I, I'm, I was low vision for a long time. I still am super visual, even though I just see blur. So I'm constantly having to visualize what's in front of me in order to understand what I need to do. So even things like diagrams, I get these kits from Ikea, and I, I sit there with the paper and go, oh, why did I do this? If I could actually feel the diagram to know what to do, that would really make a big difference. Yeah, I think that's a really great point uh, because I think there are, for, uh, there are so tactile, uh, at least the technologies that we have now uh, can be very like, no, not as high fidelity as like having the real object there. Um, but I think providing more details uh, with audio is really helpful. Uh, so I think, yeah, there's definitely uh, that opportunity for this combination of the haptic and the audio uh, yeah, there's also some uh, raised hands that I got notified. I just found it intriguing, um, especially as it, did Joel. Did that help you at all with the with the graphing sound wise? Because being a musician, of course, I'm used to listening to notes and sounds and patterns. Me too, but it's too fast. I'd have to slow that down because mm. I, I really mm-hmm. want to get a sense of what each point is doing. If it's going too fast, I could miss the trend. But, I mean, if it's yeah. if it's a, an obvious one where it's like straight up, then I go, oh yeah, okay, it's going in an up direction or it's going in a down. But like with the U.S. COVID uh, graph, it was all over the place. It was up and down. Like so, some of those dips and, and peaks, you'd want to be able to look at those individually. So I would hope that that SAS, the tool allows you to slow down and and maybe arrow through it little like in the smaller chunk because you said it's January 2020 to to now so that's like six yeah. months of data so what what is that something like 180 days so mm-hmm. that's by 180 plots so that's easy for me to miss something in that many yeah, that's, yeah. Right. And that's that's also yeah that's a lot of the, some of the feedback that uh, comments that we've gotten around uh, what are the right controls to have to be able to better either zoom out and get a bigger picture and then also understand like the finer details. I, but I, I can think see this that, is, a, is a tool that could also p- p- help people with autism. Yes, because it's that multimodality again where. <laughs> they can pick and choose how the best way to perceive something. Yes. And then I do know that I, a long time ago in college, participated in a research study of science and math and why blind people weren't doing well in those subjects in college. And we came up with what you did. And it's rather sad to me that we came up with that a while back here in in the hasn't been acted on as much, but that it was the lack of being able to translate 3D concepts or visual concepts into a tactile or other form that blind people could relate to. And I remember telling a teacher, I have no idea what a right angle is. I was struggling and 
geometry. And she said, yes, you do. And she said, look at the corner of the table. That's a right angle. It was a square table. And so that was, I was like, well, that was simple. Why didn't anyone think of it? It was a simple way to tell me that's a right angle. But it didn't mean anything to me on a raised line drawing. When she showed me the corner of the table, it came alive. So do we have questions from the audience? We do. Okay. And do you have any more questions, Joel? No, no, I'm good. Okay. I want to hear what other people think. Go ahead, Brandon. Um, Danielle, you are allowed to talk. There should be a pop-up on your screen asking you to unmute. Yes, hello. Thank you. Thank you so much for this presentation. Enjoying it so very much. Um, Thank you. I don't know if the last soundbite went over my head or if I actually didn't hear it, but um, it's all interesting. And you've pretty much addressed the questions I have about the second project, you know, and it's, of course, coming up again. Excellent information, but having to learn how to interpret it and translate it, not just to hear it, um, being able to segment it off to uh, get the various nuances. And, and like you said, getting concepts as opposed to detailed data, but you did also say it's preliminary. So I'm interested to see where you will go with that. Um, and with the first project. I mean, I'm just thinking of, you know, like how Joel said, even with diagrams for assembling, you know, if you get something conceptually, you can fill in even some of the blanks, even if you can't get it in detail. I'm thinking like how wonderful that would have been for me studying biology, studying chemistry with all the molecules, both with learning them and then being able to reproduce them in appropriate places. So I'm, I'm really excited about that technology and what kind of doors it will open up in all the different ways uh, people will find to make good use of it. So thank you. I agree with you, Danielle. I remember when I was in high school in biology, being a low vision kid, when I had to dissect the frog, everybody else can see the parts inside. To me, it was all this pink stuff in there. So I really couldn't, I could do the incisions, but identifying the parts inside the frog couldn't do it. If I had some kind of 3D model where I could parallel what I'm feeling inside the frog to what it should feel like, I'd have been able to identify a lot more parts inside. Yes, I took human physiology and the teacher was really inventive and she got a hold of a 3D skeleton that I could take apart and a 3D model of the brain and the eye and a bunch of other things. And just being able to take it apart take it apart and put it back together. And you were saying something about that, Alexa, that people didn't just use the 3D models to feel them. They also could move them around, move the pins around. Yeah. And I think the part of uh, being able to manipulate things gives you also a better understanding. As you mentioned, like the models, being able to deconstruct and uh, assemble them. Yes. Yes. Okay, do we have another question, Brandon? Yeah. Um, Mike, you should be allowed to talk. I just, I, w- I wanted to say I studied physics with low vision. And, uh, you know, using the, the graphing calculator under the CCTV was uh, pretty difficult. And, and one of the things that I had imagined uh, then, and this was in, in the early 2000s, was um, kind of like Cartesian coordinates with re- refreshable uh, pins kind of like so that you could manipulate uh, the graphs and, and get 
dual feedback, you know, with an audio touching the, the pins that were raised so that you can understand, you know, and, and um, a growing exponential curve uh, relative to, you know, uh, a square root curve, because, you know, that's how they're teaching this stuff now. And I was wondering if anybody was working on something like that, you know, Cartesian coordinates laid out in a grid fashion uh, on a plate with refreshable uh, pins that would pop up when you put the graph in. So that would make it a little easier. And if you were to add some sound similar to the pitches that you had for, you know, raising uh, upward growth and, and, uh, you know, lowering the down downward curve, I, I think it would be really super. I was wondering if anybody's working on anything like that. I think it would make it a lot easier for folks to learn. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm not sure if I know any specific project, uh, but for the second project, uh, we are uh, interested in uh, the tactile, uh, like both the audio and the tactile, um, especially because like with uh, pin, a pin-based display, uh, there are some limitations in the resolution. And I think augmenting that with uh, the audio could be very complementary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I, I tried to assist somebody in learning um, statistics and, uh, you know, teaching the histogram using, I don't know if folks would recall the sticky wiki on, on the uh, grid. What were you saying, Mike? The sticky wiki on the grid plate and trying to teach somebody how a histogram mm-hmm. looks on, a, uh, on that grid using the sticky wiki strips. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah. The, the, the sticky strips that you can yeah, use. Yeah, the, yeah. like waxy. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah. ropes that you kind of bend into yeah. shape. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we can be very inventive if we're challenged. <laughs> it's tough, but, you know, I just, uh, just some suggestions. I think it's an excellent Thanks. suggestion. Yeah. Do we have another hand, Brandon? Yes, we do. Abraham, you should be unmuted. First request is. It's follow-up on what the gentleman, Mike, just said regarding the graphs. So I have to describe graphs to sighted people. So in addition to having an overall view just by, like, moving my hand over the graph, if I touch points on the graph, it just gives a tone. It actually gives me the coordinates, like x-axis CPU, y-axis memory, and it tells me exactly where I'm at. That would be of great help. And also, if it helps with state diagrams or UML diagrams, where if I'm going across the diagram and I touch a place, it will read off exactly where I'm at. And then I can control on that pin board which way the diagram can shift so I can continue easily going through the diagrams. That makes sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So, like, uh, location kind of information with audio. Correct. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I know I've done tactile maps, and imagining audio with those maps would be great. It would yeah, really like help. Ta- yeah, that's right, like maps. Yeah. yeah. would be able to give feedback to, you know, to, for decision-making or different options. I'm thinking about these Cartesian maps. If I was able to turn them by pressuring my fingers or like the 3D mouse that you were using for the geometry, something like yeah. that would be really helpful because yeah. being a straight plot across like a line is one thing, but if I can turn it and then feel the peaks and valleys. Uh, we do have uh, touch sensing. We just haven't 
uh, integrated into like the how to use it basically. Uh, the only issue is, I guess, uh, touch something on the pins themselves is that you only get information uh, during contact, but not like yes. if if your hand is not in contact, there might be some misinformation. So there are some trade-offs, but definitely something that we're thinking about. That's great. And you guys have about six raised hands, so I'm just going to let one of them go okay. up. Okay. Mary, you are unmuted and allowed to talk. Okay. Mary, okay, I, um, I'm a lowly linguist. I'm not good at science um, at all, and this, this would have really helped me when I was in school. But I, I'm going to take this in a different direction. I am really curious about how these, these sounds especially were, were generated. Um, was there a piano hooked up to some sort of a graphing device to, to, to do the, um, the notes? And, and what, what were the lower sounds? What generated the lower sounds for the coronavirus? Um, it wasn't just piano. I mean, how were those sounds um, generated? And what was the technique in the process? I'm just really curious. And my second question is, where might we go after this presentation to get more of this and to hear more about the project? Yeah, uh, thank you so much for your questions. Um, so about the uh, first graph uh, that was using SAS, um, and yeah, there are like piano notes, uh, they're uh, synthesized. Okay. Uh, so not a, not live playing uh, or a recorded of a live play. So they are you can uh, they're synthesized. Um, and then towards your second project, we have actually co been collecting a number of uh, graphs uh, presented in this format. Um, so we we do have a website uh, where I'm updating on some of uh, like our work in. This, the second project that I described, um, and that is accessibledata.stanford.edu. Um, I don't know if there is a way to link, but or oh yeah, it's accessibledata.stanford.stanford.edu. .edu, and we'll try to give that out one more time if we can before we close. Give us a heads up on that. Thank you so much. We'll repeat that website because I know people are very interested. Let's take another hand. And if you can get to your point as quickly as possible, we're running out of time and I don't want to skip anybody. Oh, you should be able to talk. I had several thoughts as the presentation was going on and I'm intrigued by it. Um, I loved um, geometry when I was a kid. And my professor made sure that I had tactile everything. Like for a cylinder, it might be a roll of toilet paper or, or for a triangle, it might be a musical instrument, you know, those triangles that you play. But I, I could not have asked for a better geometry teacher than I had. So um, I'm thinking about 3D models of homes and you know, how people are, if they're looking for a house, they want to see it in 3D. And I'm wondering if that would be a project or something that individual could do or could send a picture of a 3D home model and you guys could translate it using the haptic 
method or the audio method. I'm interested in participating in further studies. And so anything you have to throw at me, I would love it. Yeah, it's a very exciting concept. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, um, definitely for the house uh, models, being able to present them in the tactile display is definitely possible. So um, as long as there is a 2D model, uh, you're able to display it. Like any digital model, you can display it on that display. So definitely. Okay. That's great. So your display board seems very versatile. Do we have another hand, Brandon? I'm going to yes. try to move us along here. Last four digits of 1844, you are allowed to talk. Okay. As a lifelong totally blind person, I've always thought that uh, graphs and charts serve three purposes. Number one, they were intuitive and more economical on the theory that a picture is worth a thousand words for those who can see the picture. Uh, number two, they presented a way of uh, presenting uh, data dynamically rather than statically. And number three, and this is the one I really want to focus on, they provided a way of integrating several streams of data into one into one uh, usable, understandable uh, format. So I'm wondering, for example, with uh, how would either the, tap, the haptic or the audio, and I can think of situations where one or the other would be better, uh, apply to a very complicated uh, multi-stream uh, chart of data. For example, let's say stock market charts, something of that nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think there are uh, there are different trade-offs between tactile and audio, and maybe there are different ways of displaying multi, uh, like multivariate data uh, through tactile audio. And I can imagine audio is, uh, as I mentioned, some relations, like it's easier to make the comparison because you have like a relative comparison. For audio, it's a little harder because it's more temporal. So maybe you have to listen to one stream of data and then the second, kind of how I showed that example. Uh, but some things that we've been trying are, for example, like different instruments, maybe playing together could be one way to make the audio and understanding like multiple streams of data. Uh, of course, there are like some notations, probably you cannot use more than three or uh, four instruments. Uh, so that's one option. But yeah, that, there's definitely, um, I think that the part that you mentioned about interactivity um, is really important. Okay, I'm going to move us along. Do we have another hand, Brandon? Okay, Fitzbill, uh, you should be unmuted and allowed to talk. How you doing? My name is Fitz Martin. I'm currently a student at Baruch, and this would definitely help me with math. Um, a lot of my questions already been answered, um, but I have one last question. Can uh, came in a little late. Can you hook this up to uh, your computer? Yes, this is hooked up to your computer. So uh, just be corrected. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it just takes an, an number of values that uh, like tell you, like tell the display what, where each pin should move to. Uh, so yeah, that's hooked up to your computer. Uh, that's why I mentioned that any kind of 3D model, you could send it over. All right, thank you. That's great, thank you. Okay, another hand, Brandon. Michael O'Brien, you are allowed to talk. A couple things. Um, have have uh, you considered adding uh, stereophonic um, um, to or stereo to the, the audio representation so that there could be depth and all those sorts of things in, in, in their presentations. Uh, number, number one, number two, uh, there's a group in Ohio and I can't remember what they're called. I have them buried somewhere that uh, is working specifically with 3d printing uh, for people who are blind and making all kinds of uh, biology diagrams available 
um, that can be downloaded and, and sent to 3D printers so they can be tactically reproduced for people, let's say, who are in STEM or or in some kind of biology class or other science-oriented oriented class where they need um, access to molecules or other things of a, uh, of a graphical nature. Yeah, that's uh, that sounds really interesting. I'll have to look it up. I haven't heard of uh, the group, but you mentioned you said Ohio, right? Yes, they're in Ohio. I just can't remember the name of them, but if you Google them and put in Ohio in 3D printing for the blind and uh, 3D diagrams for the blind, you'll I'm sure you'll come up mm-hmm. with them. Yeah, and then uh, what was sorry? Could you repeat your first question? Uh, the other one, uh, the uh, have you thought of? Um, um, in terms of audio representation of, of material 3D, using, like stereo, using using stereo. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, I, okay. Yes. Uh, so we've uh, well, not so. I guess like uh, we've thought about audio panning, so you get a better yep. sense yes. of the uh, trans- yep. transition from beginning to end along. Let's say, for example, the X axis or something like yep. that. Yes. So yeah, stereo panning and like dividing it from left, going from left to right. That's great. Yeah, that's one. That's one. Yeah. So yeah, thanks for that comment. That would be amazing. Can you give us your website again, Alexa? Yeah, you can find more information about this project and also uh, some other charts uh, that I didn't show here. Uh, but the website is accessibledata.stanford.edu. Okay, accessible accessible data at stanford.edu. Uh, sorry, accessible.stanford. Oh, dot edu accessible okay. data.stanford.edu. Yes. That's important. Stanford.edu. Okay. And do you have personal contact information if they have any, or is that on the website? Yes. Uh, it is on the website, but uh, th- I can also provide my email. Uh, my email is afsiu at stanford.edu. Okay. So that's AFSIU at stanford.edu. I want to tell you, Alexa, this has been an amazing and intriguing presentation. We want to thank you for your time and all of your work, because this is such an important thing for blind people professionally and educationally to be able to be in this field and be well represented. Thank you so much uh, for hosting me. I really appreciate all your comments, your feedback. Um, and I'm, yeah, I'm really happy to uh, answer all your questions. And yeah, please, if you have any other comments, uh, don't hesitate to contact. Okay, Joel, any final comments? No, I just wanted to say how good a job everybody did. Alexa did a good job of presenting. You did a good job of moderating. And everybody did have yeah. really good questions. Really good questions. Yes. More to come, I I, I figure. Yes, we can only uh, always generate more more questions. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much. And thank you to everybody that contributed. I wish we had more time as usual, but I want to just appreciate everybody for staying tuned with us and on ACB radio and so forth. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.